Hey, so Jesse, we talk a lot about college on this show. Yeah, we do. And what we actually mean is Avondale University College, where we both got our bachelor degrees in ministry and theology. Yeah, and you know, that's also where we became buddies and we lived in the dorms, we ate at the calf, walked to class in the sunshine. It was great. It was great. We had late night Maccas runs, we led in worship, and uh, we also met some of our closest friends there. Absolutely. Probably one too many late night Maccas runs for me, but you know, honestly, studying at Avondale was the best. And we're so stoked to say that this episode is sponsored by Avondale University College. Called to make a difference? Called to beat Avondale. Have you ever read the Bible and gotten the impression that the author has some inside information that you don't have? Yeah, sometimes it feels like the author is just assuming that I know stuff that I simply don't know. Well, if you've ever felt this way, the good news is you are absolutely not alone. You know, I think a lot of people just assume their own cultural context over the Bible when they read it. I mean, after all, I live in a 21st century world and I have to deal with 21st century problems. I mean, it's true that most people who read the Bible do exactly what you've just said. But what they fail to consider is how all the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament came out of a very specific cultural context. So what you're saying then is that the Bible didn't come about independent of its cultural context, but was actually shaped by it? That's exactly right. The Bible is just as much a product of its cultural setting as it is a product of the authors who wrote it. And that's why today we're going to be talking about how you, a modern 21st century person, can discover the original context of the Bible and how that can transform the way that you see the whole thing. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. Absolutely. And you may have noticed today, if you're watching the video, I'm sitting in a different setting. Ooh. Very interesting, isn't it? Where is Josh today? <laughs> I like to call this the bird's nest. Uh, the bird's nest. <laughs> it's like the like we have like an upstairs of the church and this is the upstairs Sabbath school room that doesn't get used for anything during the week. So it's very quiet, very secluded. So I can hide yeah. up here and I know that I'm not going to get interrupted while we record this morning. It almost looks like you got soundproofing behind you, like that felt panel. Looks like mm. pretty sick yes. soundproof. It almost looks professional. It's definitely professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, not yeah. just regular felt at all. <laughs> I almost expect there to be like little felt lions and a little felt Jesus on there. Oh, the little fuzzy felt things. Yeah. From early, early church days. Do you still have those in a storeroom somewhere in your church? I don't, I don't know. I should mm. look. I don't, uh, I don't have anything to do with the kids ministries here really. So I don't, I don't look at any of the storage that they have, but I should, yeah. I should, that'd be kind of fun. We, um, we dug out and in my church, like uh, two years ago, and we had no idea. We had these huge like portfolio things that were full of these little felt scenes with all the felt animals. And it was the most adorable thing. Somebody had like obviously donated it or something Aww. like years and years ago, but we had no use for it because everything that we do with our kids ministries is like either very tactile or it's like on a screen. So we were like, oh, 
these are awesome, but we we don't have any use for them. So we ended up donating them to some other church. So hopefully they're hopefully they're getting good use out of them because they are. That's like nostalgia, man. So good. <laughs> yeah, I never really liked them that much as a kid because I don't know. It's like the texture. I don't know. It just drives me a little bit insane. The texture, really? Mm. What, like, because it's, it's like fuzzy, scratchy, you know? Oh, okay. Like a like a woolen sweater or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to. I don't know. Maybe there's some other people out there. It's just like you touch. I imagine touching it, and I'm like, ah, oh, grinding my teeth a little bit thinking about it. Uh, I don't know why. So like, it's kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard for you or something. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm also grinding my teeth thinking about that. So thanks, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> Great start to the episode, right? I, it's all right. I am too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, before we get into the content today, I've been wanting to ask mm. while we were on break, did you listen to any interesting podcasts? Yes, I actually did. Um, I listened to a few. There was one that um, I'm trying to think of now. I think it's called The Rabbit Hole. Um, what a great name. It is an excellent name for a podcast. It was by the New York Times. Um, so the New York Times have a the serial network and they've been producing some really killer podcasts recently. Mm. I also recently started listening to one of theirs called Nice White Parents, which is all about um, segregation and uh, racial diversity in the American school system. So that's very, oh. that's very interesting. Yeah, um, it would be. But the rabbit hole is all about how the internet has changed the way that the world works, essentially. Um, True. Yeah. So they talk about all sorts of things from like um, like internet YouTubers, like you know people who get on like socialism or like liberalism, conservatism, and how they actually shape the political system to um, QAnon. And they even actually got a an interview with uh, Felix Shelberg. PewDiePie. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. He does not do many interviews. He does not do many interviews. In fact, I believe the interview that they did with him was the last interview or the last uh, contact that he's ever had bef- uh, since the Washington Post sort of stuff from like years ago with all that controversy. Wow. So, Interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Just in yeah. case you all don't know, Felix uh, Kielberg, <laughs> I'm not saying his name, but anyway, uh, He's also known as PewDiePie on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So you may have heard of him before. He's got a bit of a following. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, 100 million subscribers. But anyway. Yeah. Oh, so, that's yeah, cool. that's, that, that's what I listen to during my break. I, I quite I quite enjoy those sort of serial podcasts with, you know, like the sound effects and the narration and the clipping from little news articles. I think it's, yeah, it's quite fun. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun to work on a podcast like that. Burn the haystack has its own style, but maybe yeah. maybe if we did another podcast one day, we might do a, maybe a bit of a different vibe. Could be. Fun. I would love to do a podcast like that. I wouldn't like to be the editor on a podcast <laughs> like that. It would be <laughs> it would a horrendous a job. <laughs> yeah. How about I, you? Uh, yeah, I actually listened to my first true crime podcast. You know, oh. I know it's a very big, um, very big genre, very popular Huge. podcast genre, uh, and yeah, I was kind of like, well, I want to, you know, I want to know what's going on in the podcast scene. So I gave it a go. And yeah, I listened to a really interesting one. Again, I'm not really a true crime kind of guy, but um, I saw a recommendation on Reddit. Um, it was this conversation and um, the Istal woman came up. I don't know if Ooh, you've ever heard of that. I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah. So that there's a 10 part podcast uh, series called Death in Ice Valley. 
So yeah, it was this woman, they found her. This is like in the early seventies um, in, Oh, I've actually forgotten where it is. Anyway, <laughs> it's like, um, European country. Hang on. Okay. I will quickly Google it. I've just had a, um, yep. Du, 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 Isdal, the Isdal woman, Norway. Yes. Uh, yes. Bergen, Norway. Oh, uh, Bergen. In 1970. Okay. Yeah. And this, yep. yeah, the Isdal, in like the Isdal Valley, I think is yep. what it is. Um, and yeah, there are all these theories. They never really figured out who she, they still haven't figured out who she is or oh. anything. They can't identify her because there's all these strange little intricacies, like all the tags on her clothes were cut off. Um, all these things in her bag were from different countries. Um, yeah, she would check in at all these different hotels, but under different names. Uh, and so there's like theories, like some people think she was like, a spy like an israeli spy or something other people think she was a not a spy but a messenger for a spy organization other people think she was like into like i don't know the sex industry or something and yeah super interesting yeah uh, yeah great and yeah beautifully produced and everything because it's all like the istal valley it's like super rainy and dark so throughout this whole thing you get this eerie you can, I don't know, the music is just so on point. It makes you yeah. feel like cold and in the rain and everything, which is exactly <sighs> what that valley is like all the time. But I kind um, of, yeah, really I, well done. I actually really enjoyed it. And now I'm, yeah, super interested in the Istal woman and I'm subscribed. <laughs> so if they ever, they did come out with a special episode 11, which was a live because they made this Facebook group around it too. And so people, as each episode came out, people were like posting their theories and what they thought and all the evidence and stuff was being put on there so people could look into it for themselves too. And some people made some minor little uh, breakthroughs on the case too in the Facebook group and so some of that was shared throughout the journey. So yeah, really fun, really fun podcast. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I want to listen to it now. Yeah, done by the BBC, so it's very professional. Oh, yes, yes, very British. And and I love the the Norwegian accents and stuff you hear in it. They're just so nice. So anyway, yeah, great times. Dude, that's like one of the top of my bucket list countries to visit. Hey, like I really want to, I really want to visit. Like just the whole Scandinavian peninsula is incredible. It would be great. It would be great. Um, hey, so guys, if you uh, listen to any podcasts while um, while we were on break, we'd love to hear what you listen to. We mm. did ask a question in the Facebook group, but you know, feel free to Instagram us or email us. We'd love to hear from you about this sort of stuff. Uh, and also, uh, while we're talking about uh, getting people's feedback, uh, as we are progressing through our series, Reading Scripture Responsibly, we also want to get your questions. So we'll remind you again at the end of the episode, but if you have any questions, comments, thoughts um, that you want to shoot our way, um, we're getting a few in, but uh, send out the questions um, to us. You can go to the burnthehaystack.org website and you can fill out a, an email form there if you can. Uh, record yourself on your mobile device or any other kind of device. Keep it to 30 seconds and uh, we uh, may play it on a future episode in uh, in a question and response sort of fashion. So, yeah, keep mm. keep the questions coming, people. Love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, hey, so, well, let's just get right into um, today's content then, shall we? Yes. So today's episode is uh, context, context, context. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, and we, we're talking all about how to um, read scripture responsibly and we would, uh, we would be remiss to not talk about the two big E words when it comes to um, interpreting 
and uh, and reading scripture. And those two words are exegesis and eisegesis, which... Uh, I thought it was going to be um, elegance and excellence. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm disappointed. When a, when a Burn the Haystack listener reads the Bible, that is already assumed. <laughs> True. <laughs> we do everything here with elegance and excellence, people. <laughs> It's like the two words that don't don't describe us very well at all. <laughs> I think we we do okay on excellence, right? Yeah. Look at these microphones. Oh, that's true. They're great. That's all true. Right. That's true. Um, yep. Go on. So so I, I don't know about you, Josh, but when I first heard that word exegesis, I I don't think I heard that word until I did my higher education uh, bachelor's degree. I'd never heard it before. No, I'd never heard of it before until I went to Avondale when I was doing my Bachelor of Theology and Ministry. Yeah. And I have a fun story about that, actually. I was kind of stressed out at a lunch in the cafeteria because I had an exegesis due like that afternoon and I hadn't made enough progress on it. So anyway, um, I was kind of eating really fast and um, the people who I was sitting at the table with at lunch that day at Avondale, they were like, whoa, you're okay. And I was like, oh, I've just got this exegesis due for my class and I've got to go and do it. And they just looked really baffled and they were like, you guys do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah wh- what do you mean? Like, do, do you know what that is? And they, they thought I said, I have to go and do my letter to Jesus. <laughs> So, um, and yeah, I was like, do you guys know what, what an exegesis is? They're like, oh, exegesis. I thought you said letter to Jesus. A letter to like, Jesus. No, I probably should do more of those, but I, um, no. so I had to explain what an exegesis was back that then. That is so, so funny. A, I don't think it's a very common term. I don't think so either. And I think, well, when I first heard the term, I thought it had something to do with Jesus. That That is what I thought. Yeah, uh, <laughs> understandably I, so. Yeah, yeah. But um, if, if you've never heard the, the term exegesis before, it is a Greek word. Um, no surprise there, I suppose. Um, but it means literally to lead out. So when we talk about exegesis, what we're really talking about is figuring out what the text originally meant um, from the author to whatever recipient um, it was going to. Uh, if you look on Wikipedia... Uh, it will tell you that exegesis is a critical explanation or interpretation of a text, um, particularly a religious text. And I think exegesis has always kind of been associated with religious texts, but it should be noted that um, exegesis is not just a critical explanation or interpretation of a religious text. You can just about exegete any kind of text or or piece of literature uh, out there. Mm. It'll be interesting in the days of the far future from now, if somebody like unveils our text messages to each other full of like emojis and random in jokes, and then they're having to do exegesis on yeah. our text messages and emojis and try to figure out what exactly did they mean by this? Who is the original audience? And anyway. I could just imagine like a, a screenshot of like your text messages to me on like some future museum wall <laughs> and people just going wow what weren't our ancestors strange and primitive and <laughs> I used to love these flame emojis <laughs> <laughs> what is the what is the significance of the flame <laughs> scholars just writing their dissertations on the the meaning of the flame emoji as opposed to the poop emoji <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, but yeah so you can you can technically do exegesis on any text yes yeah. 
So the, the, the verb actually is to exegete. So, and also funnily enough, I believe somebody who does exegesis is also can be referred to as an exegete. So an exegete can exegete a text. I did not. I actually did not know that. There yeah. You go. Yeah. And you're an exegete. We're both exegetes. Exegetes. Well, I, I, everybody, everybody is an exegete in, in some way, shape or form because oh, we nice. all interpret scripture. So, cool. so yeah. Um, I guess the next question then is, well, what is exegesis actually like? What does it take? What do you what do you actually do? Like, it's one thing to to read a text and to interpret it, but what is actually the process by which you go from knowing nothing about a text to being able to understand its full context? Um, mm. So exegesis, it, it's it's not an all-encompassing sort of thing because it actually, it's more of an umbrella, I think is probably the best way to describe it. It's not just like a systematic sort of scientific, scientific method um, style process. It's more of an umbrella, which includes a whole bunch of different methods of interpreting scripture. Would, is, would that be fair to say, Josh? Is that how you sort of think about it? How do you think about it? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would probably probably agree. Like there are lots of things you can do to exegete a text, I guess. A yeah. lot of facets and a lot of different disciplines maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, yeah, I would say you're right in just saying it's definitely not one thing. It's like a collection of a whole lot of things to to do one big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, we if you want to just go on to the Wikipedia article for exegesis, um, it will give you a lot more information than what we are sharing right now. Um, and we've um, taken this from Wikipedia, which I, I don't know. I feel like back in the day when we were going through our university degree, it felt like like our lecturers would say that ex- that Wikipedia is not a good source, but I actually think it's a great source nowadays. It's gotten better, I think. Well, yeah. I remember in high school, there were definitely some dodgy uh, dodgy things on there. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah even early university, it would definitely. But uh, over time, it's gotten a lot more um, reputable. Is that the word I'm looking for? I, you know, I think it's I think it's because it's become a lot more, you know, like when you're an academic and you publish an article and you get peer reviewed. I think the same process has happened to Wikipedia. The more users have gotten onto it, the better it's gotten at actually having the peer review analysis process done. So you can't just like, like if you're some loser, you know, 13 year old in your mum's basement trying to edit Wikipedia articles to say that, I don't know, Apollo 13 never happened or that the moon is made of cheese. Like you're not just going to be able to do that and get away with it most of the time. So yeah. I, uh, did, have you ever edited a Wikipedia article? I never have. No. Uh, I did in high school, early yeah. high school. Mm. What did you edit? A game I was really into playing and uh. there was a detail on a particular character that was wrong so i fixed it good job thanks good job man yeah. don't know if it's um, still there today don't care to look but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna mention who the character was because it's super geeky and embarrassing so why did i bring that up don't Bro, know. you just gotta own your geekiness it's all good um yeah okay <laughs> but um yeah anyway so uh, exegesis it's much more of an umbrella than it is like a singular task and if you go on the wikipedia article you'll see all the different disciplines that are kind of nested underneath this thing. So you've got textual criticism, which we may get into it at a later date, but textual criticism is a fairly well-known and well-used method for interpreting scripture that many academic scholars use. It's not the only one, but it is one of the the main ones. 
Um, and then there's the the basic stuff that you would expect: figuring out the historical context, the cultural context, the what's who who are the audience. Um, figuring out how it fits into scripture in terms of the genre. So whether it's poetic, historical, um, it's a letter, um, it's apocalyptic, biographical, all that sort of stuff. And as well, then you've got the sort of linguistic sort of side of it, figuring out the original language. How is the author using language to make his or her point um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So this is all part of the exegetical process and yeah, it I, may... I, I, well, I was just going to say, I think it's kind of summarized that it's really doing like the, what is it? The who, what, when, yeah. where, how, and why Yeah, is really like covering those six. Which is something that we all learn from, you know, primary school. So it sounds complicated, but it's really just going through that very basic practice. Yeah. But obviously, because it's like an ancient text and there's so much, you know, the process is a little bit more complicated, but basically... Those are the six points you're really looking at that are going to basically bring any sort of Bible text to life and to more of what it was originally intended to mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that like when we talk about all these big academic words, it can kind of seem a little bit overwhelming. But I think at least for me, one of the things that I want us to achieve today in this episode is to um, really leave you with a, a sense that you don't need to be a biblical scholar to do good exegesis. Like it's no. not... It's not necessary um, to, to have all the historical, um, linguistic, uh, you know, all those sorts of, you know, that background and that knowledge to be able to actually do good, effective, faithful exegesis. It helps, but it's, um, I think, yeah. Like, and there are, some, there are some texts, I think, that are harder than others to exegete too. Definitely. Um, but ultimately, I think that anybody can definitely get more meaning than just the surface meaning of a, of a text. And yeah. the good news is that if you have grown up in church um, or even, you know, kind of, well, if you've been to church a lot and listened to a lot of sermons or a lot of podcasts on the Bible and that kind of thing, you've probably actually already gathered a whole lot of um, context around scripture and heard a whole lot of hopefully good exegesis, yeah. um, probably good exegesis, you know, because pastors will often share messages um, based in like looking at the original meaning of text and um, there are a whole lot of great podcasts out there that cover original meaning. I mean, we've done it now yeah. in our um, show and a whole lot of episodes have looked at the original meaning and original context of different Bible texts. So the good news is you've probably gathered, especially if you're a long-term listener of the show, you've probably gathered a whole lot of historical context of the Bible without even probably realizing it because you've had exegesis done around you a lot. So yeah. it does kind of make it a little bit easier, hopefully that you gather up and you remember these things and you begin to link things together. And as you read, you'll be like, oh, I remember somebody talking about this or that sort of thing. And it kind of, it's amazing how much of, I guess, a, a web of knowledge we build up around the Bible sometimes yeah. with, um, with, yeah, with historical context and authorship and all that kind of thing. Um, mm. and then it all just come, once you sort of begin to put your own work in and do it yourself, it all comes together really fast, I think. Yeah. Mm. So something that I often hear when, when we're having this discussion about interpreting the Bible is a lot of people will, you know, listen to somebody talking about the importance of exegeting, um, faithfully. And a lot of people I found have just thrown their hands up and gone, oh, 
it that all sounds great, but I'm not really going to do that. Like that sounds like way too much work. Why why can't I just read the Bible? We we in the in our tradition we have this idea of the plain reading of scripture. You know, why <laughs> yes. can't I just read the scriptures plainly and then just do what it says, you know? Which a like, lot of people do. Which a lot of people do. I mean, we have we have this saying of, you know, God said it, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You know, that's sort of like the nice little, you know, <laughs> um mm. catch cry of, of of that sort of, you know, group of people. Why can't we just read scripture, see what it says, and just allow it to speak to my current context without doing any of this silly work of figuring out the original audience and all that sort of mucking around? Mm. Right? And I would say to a level you can. Yeah. In, in a way. I don't know. How so? I, mean, there are some things, there, I guess there are some things in, in scripture that are a lot more straightforward than others. Okay. You know, so I'd say, I would say to a level you can do that. And it is great to have a high authority, I think, of the Bible um, of, you know, that, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, mm. Does that make sense? I suppose like, okay. So would, would, would an example of be something like love your neighbor or something like that? Yeah, or uh, which I'll like, you know, uh, John three John three sixteen for God sure. so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That sort of thing. It's it's very straightforward. Obviously, there is context around that that you need to know the story of Jesus and that kind of thing. Who who the God the Son was and why He gave it. And there is deeper meaning you can get from it. But ultimately, you can just take that at face right. value and say, yeah, I am saved just by putting my faith in Jesus and yep. I have everlasting life because of it. But then you can go deeper to, you know, read before that, before that and after it and read around it and go deeper into it and who the author was and, you know, all that kind of thing. You, you, right. you can go deeper and actually get more meaning out of something that you may have taken at surface value. But then if you want to go, yeah, I think, I think yes. I'm making sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think, I think you're right. I think you are right. You can. Oh, look. There's no question that you can because, as you said before, most people do, and I think that's true. I think most people do kind of do that, most Christians at least. Um, but I also think, you know, what you said, you know, as sort of your follow-up in terms of seeing it more deeply uh, once you dig into it, I think that's also true. And I think if you do that, you do the work of actually digging into Scripture on a deeper level I think that unlocks the actual story behind the story, which is really what we're trying to learn as we develop into Christ followers is living our lives according to the story that runs its way throughout the entire depth and breadth of scripture. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. You begin um, digging down and it's kind of, well, this is where the fun begins. In the words of Anakin Skywalker, anyway, love it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so actually, yeah. I think this would be a good opportunity for us to um, take a little break and then uh, come back and do a little exercise on exegeting um, a passage of not scripture but uh, a piece of literature. And then also we'll look at the inverse of exegesis and yes. the troubles we can run into with it. So if you went through high school, you probably took a history or a English or a literature class at some point. 
Did you did you go through high school, Josh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. <laughs> cool, I didn't cool. say in high school, I didn't like history that much, but I, I probably appreciate it a lot more now after doing more further study. Uh, anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so if you, uh, dear listener, ever took a literature class or a history class or an English class, you actually probably did some exegesis without even realizing it. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to read a letter written from one person to another. And Josh has kind of got a little idea of what this letter is, but he doesn't know the full context. And we're going to try and piece this letter together or he's going to try and piece the letter together based on just the contextual clues in the letter, but nothing else. All right. Okay. So you are you ready? Yeah. All right. So the letter goes like this. I ought to have written to you before to tell you of the great pleasure that your drawings in illustration of Farmer Giles have given me. My friends, very justly, said after seeing them that they had reduced the text to a commentary on the pictures. I'm hoping soon to get some larger works published and in a more ample fashion, and if so, I hope you might be interested or at least have time to consider them. One, a long romance in sequel to The Hobbit is finished after some years of work and is being typed. It is held up at the moment since I am immersed in examinations and other weary business. But when it's done, I wonder if I could prevail on you to glance at it. Hmm. What? End quote. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, what are some of the, the details that jumped out to you, Josh? What are some of the sort of like little landmarks that jumped out? Well, okay. It's. The author is it actually is it actually J.R. Tolkien? Like because they're talking about the sequel to The Hobbit that they've written. So okay. I don't know how many other The Hobbit books are. Right. Are. So that that's that's probably the biggest clue in the whole thing, right? So okay, it's yeah. somebody who he or she references the fact that they have finished a long romance in sequel to The Hobbit, right? Mm. So if you know what The Hobbit is then you could, just as you said, infer that the person who is writing this letter is J.R.R. Tolkien. Right. Right. And I guess, well, uh, wait, did they say a long, oh, no, 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 wait, I've just got- A the, long romance in sequel to The Hobbit is the oh, way I that they described- I thought they said like a romance sequel to The Hobbit. And I'm like, I don't remember there being a romance sequel to The <laughs> Hobbit, but that makes, so I'm guessing it's talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. So- is he okay? So if he if he writing to an illustrator because he wants him to do illustration for Lord of the Rings, right? So that that's that's exactly right. So okay. he so, so he starts cool. out and he references some book. We assume it's a book. Never heard of. I've never heard of it either. But the book is called Farmer Giles, and he actually he comments on the fact that he's shown this book to his friends, and after a while. It seems that they have ignored the book itself and they've just looked at the pictures because apparently the pictures are so good. <laughs> okay. That's because, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. My friends very justly said after seeing them that they had reduced the text to a commentary on the pictures. So clearly the pictures are better than the actual text itself. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Hence why we don't know what that book is, but... <clears throat> 
Okay, right. so he's not just writing to any illustrator, but obviously to a very good one. Yes, clearly. Uh, and and he also seems to be writing to an illustrator who he has a prior relationship with. So he's worked with this person before, right? So how, wait, how do you get that? Okay, so um, duh, 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 duh. so we can either infer that Farmer Giles is either a work that he has already written, like the author, the person that he that is talking here, he might be the author of Farmer Giles, or Farmer Giles could be have written by somebody else. We don't know, right? Okay, yep. but then um, uh, what you call it? Uh, he says. I'm hoping soon to get some larger works published and in a more ample fashion, right? So it, it seems that he is uh, referring to some works that he's done before. So they must have worked together at some point. And he's saying, hopefully I can get these next works done quicker than the previous ones that I've done. Right. right. Yeah, true. And even the, the first part I ought to have written to you yes. before to tell you, it's like it's kind of a continuing conversation. Right. Yes. So it's not mm. it's not the first time that he's talked to this person. Um, uh, there are some other things that we could bring out. If you didn't know, let's say that you didn't know who the, what the Hobbit was or you didn't know what Farmer Giles was, you could infer that the person who is writing this is either a professor or he's a student or she is a student, right? Because they reference at the end there examinations, which most people would probably reference mm. would, would kind of associate with school or university or something. So either they're they're going through exams of their own or they are overseeing exams. Um and either way it's tiresome. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually know what I mean you know more about J.R. Tolkien's life than I do. Yeah. What do, what do they mean by examinations? Or is that just they're using that word differently to how we use it or is that well, the word exam is just an abbreviation of examination, right? So it's the same thing as yeah. going through an exam. He was a professor. He was a professor. He was a linguist oh. and he was oh, okay, a, right. a professor at Oxford University. So he's, oh. he's writing this uh, as he is going, you know, assuming, because I haven't um, actually seen this little piece of context myself, but I'm assuming that he is overseeing some um, exams, for some students oh, that he has. Interesting. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know he was a um, professor. There you go. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, no, um, Josh, you're right. He is actually, he is talking about, I, I love the wording, the, a long romance in sequel to The Hobbit. I, I don't know where the romance part comes in. Maybe he's using romance in a different way than you and I mm. might think. Um, yeah. Maybe he's talking about romance in the sense of like an epic tale um, or like a, a some sort of, I don't know, but it's long. So it's longer than The Hobbit. And this makes sense because actually the first draft of The Lord of the Rings was supposed to be a single volume. Um, but his publisher later on said, this is way too long. We're going to have to split it into three, which yeah, is what makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> which is why which is why we have a trilogy instead of like one long continuous. Actually, I have. Uh, is it here? It's here somewhere. But I actually have a copy of the Lord of the Rings, which is one volume. Um, I've seen that in bookstores. It looks so impressive. It's <clears throat> thick. It's so yeah. thick. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, this is this is um 
This is J.R.R. Tolkien talking to his illustrator, um, Pauline Diana Baines, and it oh. is dated June 4th, 1949. And this is one of the first references that we have in uh, Tolkien's correspondence uh, talking about the Lord of the Rings. So this is one of the first places we see him actually talking about it after working on it for decades. Um, cool. So, so I, I guess this is the, this is just to illustrate that you know, like if you were in English class and you were studying Lord of the Rings, for instance, you were studying J.R.R. Tolkien, your teacher would not go through a letter like this without explaining the context behind it. Like, if you had knowledge of what the Hobbit was, you could immediately jump out and go, "Okay, I that I could make sense of that." The Hobbit. So maybe J.R.R. Tolkien is the one who is actually talking about this. Um, and, and the same is true for um, the biblical text, right? In order to fully understand, to get that depth, to, to really understand the story behind the story, um, we need to be able to understand who the players are in the text, what they're talking about, why it's important to them in their context, Um you know, this this is the same. These are the same principles that we have when it talks when we talk about actually exegeting the Bible. Um, and though we may be tempted to, in our daily devotional life, or even in our you know whatever reading life, we may be tempted to just go straight to the application point without first considering the context. I believe that the first interpretation, the first faithful interpretation, needs to be a faithful faithfully exegeted interpretation. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that we stop with exegesis because actually there is a whole process that comes after it. But I I believe that the first interpretation that we should make of a text is a well-exegeted interpretation. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, which, which leads us, I suppose, to what many people do and this is the inverse of exegesis, and that is eisegesis. Yeah, so again, we decided to use the Wikipedia definition just to be equal to what we did for exegesis. <laughs> um, so eisegesis is a process of interpreting text in such a way as to introduce one's own presuppositions, agendas, or biases. It is commonly referred to as reading into the text. It is often done to prove a pre-held point of concern and to provide confirmation bias corresponding with the pre-held interpretation and any agendas supported by it. Mm. Dear listener, have you ever heard somebody do this with the Bible before? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, never. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, it's huge. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. And and look, there there are there are passages of scripture that have been really problematic for the church over the years because of the way that people come in and do eisegesis rather than exegesis. Um one that immediately springs to mind is when Paul is uh speaking in his epistles um as well as in the letter to Philemon about um slaves and the way that they should treat their masters and the way that masters should treat their slaves and you know, this this message has been used to justify slave ownership um, throughout West the Western world for, for centuries. Mm. Um, and now it's funny because we live in a world where most people would consider slavery to be detestable and we would actually 
interpret in it West. differently in the West. Well, well, yeah, you know what? That's going to be that's a bit debatable. But anyway, I get what you mean. Yeah, slavery <laughs> has become a much more complicated thing, even especially yeah. in the West. Um, yeah, but. I think, you know, your average Christian at least would look at slavery and go, well, I, you know, I, I can't stand for that. You know, that's just, you know, it's not on. And we would be, we would have the moral high ground when it came to that sort of assertion. And yet many good Christians have also used these same passages throughout the years to justify um, the ownership of human beings, which, you know, we would find difficult, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well that the natural inclination is to do eisegesis over exegesis. You're naturally going to bring your own ideas, biases, presuppositions into a text. You know, just even the idea of what we think of as a letter, you know, how easy it is for us to write things today. We kind of brought this up a little bit last week. You know, we write things all the time. We text each other. We, um, you know, to write a note is super cheap and easy. But back then, the idea of writing a letter was something really expensive and complicated. Um, Paul's right. Paul writing a letter, who would have had to have, um, you know, what, what like a paid secretary to yeah. help edit it and all that kind of thing. Yeah. The actual paper and ink was super expensive. Like we're talking thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, to to just write a single letter back then. So even that sort of thing, we need to be really careful because we, as soon as we see particular English words, we interpret them to what they look like in 2020 in yeah. our Western context. But we, yeah, we actually need to go against our natural inclination to dig deeper into what the Bible text actually meant for the original audience, which is, yeah, Again, For most Christians, it sounds it feels wrong. It feels yeah, it does feel unnatural. It feels like well, this is not. It, it almost feels like betraying what the scriptures actually stand for when we <laughs> ignore our own presuppositions. But in a funny way, we're not actually betraying scripture. We're actually we're actually betraying our own biases. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. When you find the meaning to the original audience, you will find better, deeper meaning to the current audience of a letter. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think that, wait, this is something I heard on the on the Bible Project podcast recently, the ones they did about the epistles. And um, one of them was saying, oh, John was saying that, yeah, you have to draw a distinction between that, oh, what is it that the, 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 or like the letters in the New Testament, they were, they weren't written to me, but they were written for me. Yes. Yeah. So yes. you've got to work really hard to work out who they were written to and then work out, okay, so in what way does that mean this is written for me? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to go into a minute into tools to help with um, combating eisegesis, I guess, and performing good exegesis. Um, and I actually think the first and probably the most valuable tool that all of us have access to, um, uh, but it is not an easy tool to use, and that is humility. Yeah. Um, you have to approach all scripture with a sense of humility. Like even if you know a lot about the Bible or a piece of scripture, I, I found it really helpful to first act like you don't understand what it is you're reading and that you have to dig to find the meaning. Even if it seems like you know, mm. I, I find it really helpful to actually say, well, I don't, what does this mean? What does this actually mean? How do I find that out? 
uh, and it, it helps me to because sometimes I think the inclination as well when do, when when doing exegesis is you only do it on passages you don't understand, mm. and that way you miss deeper meaning on passages that you think you do understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so if we actually force ourselves to pretend like we don't know what anything means in a way <laughs> and then <laughs> dig deep and then obviously like I think once you've dug in a bit and then you've looked around then you bring in stuff that you you already knew and then you mm. connect it and see okay maybe that wasn't actually true or maybe that was just my own presupposition but then when you begin then like if you do that first and then you bring in knowledge that you already have it I think it makes it a lot deeper the application a lot deeper and richer. And also that's when you begin cross-referencing scripture and all that sort of thing. So I would say that is the first and most valuable tool is to approach the scripture with humility and I guess open-mindedness. And I think it's it's easy for us, it's really easy for us and preachers are probably one of the worst sinners when it comes to this, uh, in going to scripture to justify and validate what we already feel and think to be true. And oh, yeah. Hard <laughs> out. If I've got yeah. a sermon I want to preach on something, I'm, I'm like, oh, cool, which script, which, oh, I know some passages about that, you know. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you just naturally do it. It's the I, worst. I have a point or a thought. How can I How can I use scripture to, to illustrate that point? And it's like, well, actually, scripture might have something completely different that it wants to say to you um, if you allow it. Um, mm. so yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that point on humility. Um, so Josh, what are some other tools that we might want to draw upon when it comes to doing good exegesis, knowing that we don't have to have a doctorate or a master's degree to be able to do this? Yeah. Well, we actually have arranged a list of, I believe all of these are totally free tools that all yes. of you can use. Um, obviously, if you are if you're really passionate, you're gonna find I think personally you'll find some better tools if you're willing to pay for it. Yep. Um, but these are all great tools. There's nothing wrong with any of these at all. Um, you know, you're not blocked by a paywall to understand um, to exegete <laughs> the, the Bible. Are you saying the Bible isn't pay to win? No. <laughs> No, it's definitely not. And that is honestly because we live in an incredibly fortunate time with the internet. Um, You know, just the availability of knowledge and wisdom when it comes to scripture is just incredible, Um, you know, compared to so many generations before us. Um, Previously to do any of this, you would have had to go to a library and like find, hopefully that your library will have good, uh, I don't know, like Bible commentaries Mm. and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. previously, previously you would have had to be able to, been able to read in the first place, which <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> for most of the most of human history has not been the case for the majority of people. Yeah, um, and then for a while you would have had to specifically be able to read Latin. Yes, that is so, very true. Anyway, yeah. yes, we are living in a very very fortunate time. So, um, counter blessings, people, especially the fact that all of these I'm pretty sure all of these resources we're going to list are basically free. So um, I think the first the first two ones they can be free but you can also purchase them right yeah. So yeah. I a good starting place at least for me is a good translation that you like that you find easy to read and that you find impactful but we don't stop there right Yeah Yeah no you to do to do good exegesis you need a few good translations um, there's sort of a spectrum of translations as well. There are some that are more 
word for word in the yep. translation. They're trying to be more faithful to the original language. Now, you might gravitate to that and think, oh, that's better because that's closer to what the Bible is actually saying. The problem is that when you do that, you sort of, the thoughts can be lost in translation because it's going word for word. Yes. So there are some Bibles that are more word for word and then there's the other side of the spectrum where it's more thought for thought. So, And it's important to note that like for those of us who are bilingual or like, you know, speak multiple languages, you think differently in different languages because the grammar is different and sometimes a lot of the cultural presuppositions that influence the language are just different. So you could have a conversation probably with the Apostle Paul and you could probably talk about some of the most important matters of theology and spirituality, but the way he thinks is most likely extremely different to the way that you think. And it's important to remember that language reflects that and translations reflect that as well. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Like there are some words that just have like word pictures yeah. that we just don't have in our language um, and yeah. vice versa. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah. So I would say a few good translations. Um, some of the more word for word ones would be like the, uh, I think the ESV. And yes. The ESV, NASB. NASB. Yeah, that's really good, uh, which is a new, Ameri- a new American standard Bible. Bible, yeah. Yeah. Version. Well, yeah. Um, and then thought for thought ones would probably be more like the New Living Translation. Yeah. Um, and then I mean you can go way out to like the Message. Yeah. Or um the Passion Translation, which I think is only the New Testament, but those are very much like, uh, yeah, those are very much like lenient on a particular interpretation of those thoughts as well. Yeah. They have their place. I enjoy reading the Message a lot, um, and I find a lot of value in it. So, um, but it's yeah, important it, to note that you know Eugene Peterson is one person. You know, so this is the thoughts of one person using the language and the experience of one person to interpret scripture, which is quite beautiful in many yeah. ways. But it is yeah, one person. Just, yeah, just one person. So you have to take that into account. So, um, yeah, it's good to I think yeah having a range of translations from multiple um, like from translation companies or like that sort yeah. of thing I think is a really good. Um, a really good thing to do. But so, there, are, there are also some really good middle middle ground translations that try to straddle that that tension and try to meet that in the middle. So yeah. I would recommend an, an NIV or, or a CEB, the Common English Bible, which mm-hmm. is a more recent translation, a kind of middle ground that have a little bit of um, free thought, but then they also try to stick as close as possible to the original wording as possible. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so when you're reading a text, you don't have to read all of these translations, but even if you just try and read one that's more word for word, one that's more for, thought for thought, and then what, maybe a middle ground one, depending on how much time you have to study. And um, there are websites that if you if you boot up, so biblegateway.com, there is a tool in that where you can enter in a particular passage and compare different translations of that passage side by side. So they're all there. Yeah, um, and even you know, if you're just doing it on your phone or an iPad or something, the YouVersion Bible app is really good. It has so many translations in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really good. And to go along with the translation is um, a lot of, not all, but a lot of study Bibles have footnotes. Yeah. So if you're reading along and then you see a little like letter J or something or A or so, and then, you know, beside it, often we just skip over those. Um, <laughs> if you if you want to study, don't skip over those. Go down, read what the footnote says. Yeah. Because um, it actually there's a lot of wisdom in those footnotes, and a lot of people have done a lot of hard work to put those footnotes there. Um, 
yeah, to benefit you, the reader. And so often, you know, maybe you'll be reading something in like an epistle and it will have a little reference to an Old Testament. It's because that passage in the Old Testament is being quoted sort of subtly in the New Testament. Mm. So then you can go back and read the context of that Old Testament passage and then you can bring it to what you're trying to understand in the epistle or maybe in the words of Jesus or something. And it can really, I think, bring a new level of understanding it's something quite simple, but it's something that can really bring a new level of understanding to your Bible reading. So, yeah, yeah footnotes are awesome. Yeah, uh, study Bibles, you know, are, are gold because they kind of combine a commentary and a Bible into one thing. So you essentially have a good translation, so pick a translation that you want to read, and then a good study Bible will also have small pockets of what you can expect to find in a good commentary. So... They're absolutely invaluable. And you can buy the big ones. Like if you're watching the video, I've got a big, this is the, the NLT study Bible. It's thick. It's, you know, got a lot of good stuff, but some of them are available online for free. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And again, the, the free options are incredible. Um, yeah. Okay. So then we have a bunch of websites. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, all pretty good. Jesse, do you want to do a couple of these? Yeah, sure. Um, so when it comes to commentaries, there are a bunch of commentaries that are good that I would recommend. And But the thing is, there are some commentaries that are good for James or good for Hebrews or good for yeah. First and Second Chronicles. So when I first started out, I bought a commentary set, um, the Logos um, commentary set, uh, the uh, Word Biblical commentaries and they are one is heavy extremely heavy extremely expensive and i wouldn't recommend those to most people Um, (laughs) i wouldn't even recommend that to myself sometimes Um, (laughs) but there are some really really great commentaries out there that are free one of them is called the enduring word commentary it's just simply enduringword.com and we will have the 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 footnotes uh in here uh, in our show notes. So you can just click on those links if you're listening on um, like Apple iTunes. If you're on Spotify, you may just have to enter this uh, manually. But um, yeah, Enduring Word is good. It's all free. It's done mostly by one person. Um, and it's definitely more of a pastoral perspective, uh, but he's kind of made this his life's work to to do this. So it's extremely um impressive for one person to have written a commentary on the entire bible (laughs) i can't even imagine eh? (laughs) oh it's insane it's insane um yeah so that one's good if you are looking to buy a commentary i would recommend bestcommentaries.com um basically what you do on that website is enter in the book that you are looking for and it will show you the best reviewed commentaries on that particular book so i have gotten um, some great commentaries for sermon series and things like that just by looking for um, commentaries. And the good thing is you don't have to know what all the best commentaries are. You just have to search for the, for the book, see the commentaries, read some reviews, and then go from there. That's if you want to buy. Um, but if you don't want to, to purchase, there are still some really great options out there. Um, Bible Hub is actually a surprisingly excellent resource that is also totally free. It's crazy how much it's developed in the last few, like, I don't know, 10 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Bible Hub, uh, basically it, what what it is, is you enter in a particular passage 
uh, a particular verse and it will give you a whole bunch of resources on that particular verse from parallel translations to a study Bible section to a concordance entry and a bunch of commentary entries as well. Oh, just um, a concordance for those of you who need to know is just it tracks the use of a particular word and shows you all the references of that word throughout the Bible. Uh, yeah. It can be helpful because some words, again, you know, and it'll show you the Greek word and hopefully it'll show you, it should show you like the definition. And sometimes it even shows you the history of how they got that word, which I think is the most interesting. Um, but sometimes it can help you understand um, that sometimes a word like you can see why they've translated it to a particular word in English, but then when you see it used in multiple other uses throughout the Bible and you actually go and look at all of those, it can help you be like, oh, actually, maybe this word isn't quite the same. It seems to have some different nuances. Um, you know, like the word apocalypse, which yes. we don't really have time to go in. But looking at that in the <laughs> concordance is super interesting because you realize that it's actually used in a whole lot of different ways all throughout the Bible. And it's actually probably more like a revealing rather than the end of the world. So yeah. um, that's a huge summary of something massive that I probably shouldn't have brought up. But <laughs> anyway, it's still it's very a, interesting. It's a, it's a really good example of why using a concordance can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And, um, and Bible Hub actually is what Dr. Jordan B. Peterson used for his own biblical, the biblical research side of his uh, Genesis lecture series, which... There was about 317 entries into that series and um, and he did some really great exegesis there, even though most of it was from a psychological perspective. But um, yeah, no, couldn't couldn't recommend Bible Hub more. It's um, an excellent resource. Yeah, just going to the homepage in Bible Hub is super enlightening. Yeah, because um, yeah, it, it gives you like a really good link to all of their resources. Um, I'll quickly cover the next one. Um, BibleTools.info is a Adventist-made site. I think it was made by... I think the story is that it was made by like a Adventist university student wanting to help out his peers and others studying. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's quite a simple little tool, but it's it's got basically... You look up a different... Uh, whatever passage that you're interested in looking at, and it's got, I think, three different commentaries. And then it also has a link to... Um, anything Ellen White has said about that passage or around that passage. So if, if you're interested in seeing Ellen White's perspective on a passage, um, it's a good tool for that as well as comparing it to what other commentators say as well. Um, it's only got, I think, the, like King James Version translation, I think. Okay, yeah. I checked. Yeah, it's, so it's a bit limited on translation. So you would want to use it in conjunction with other tools. Mm. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, and there's another resource that you used a lot through oh, your yeah. degree. Hey. Yes, um, BibleWebApp.com. You would think it's an app, but it's not. It's called <laughs> BibleWebApp.com. And it is like a really straight, it's it's actually incredible that it's free, but you can read a passage and it will have it in English. And I think it's got a few translations you can choose from on one side. And then the other side will have it in either Greek or Hebrew, whatever the original language was. And you can put your mouse over each word and it will show you what the Greek word is and the definition of that Greek word. And it has a concordance built into that. Um, so it's really crazy that it's free. I used it heaps in college um, to help me understand and learn Greek and Hebrew. Not that I'm fluent in them, but it just helped me get a, a grasp <laughs> of the language and see how it was used. And it just helps to see like those words and how you'll see like how backwards and crazy some of the sentences look in the original language. And you can see why trying to do it word for word is a bit of a mission sometimes. Mm. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, really great, fun tool to, um, I say fun, but we're Bible nerds. So that, <laughs> Bro, um, the Bible yeah. is fun. <laughs> it is. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's a really interesting, if you ever have the time you're interested in a passage, it might be a bit hard to understand, but actually the cool part about it is it will give you kind of alternate ways to define that word. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you might see an interesting word and you might wonder, wow, I wonder what this means, the original thing, and then you go and just chuck it into Bible web app mouse over it and you're like oh well that word could also be translated as this this or this i can't think of an example off the top of my head but anyway (laughs) yeah um and there's one last resource that we recommend and this may come as a surprise to to many people but um i actually really highly recommend wikipedia uh wikipedia is an actually an excellent resource i would agree yeah for finding like for reading about a particular book of the Bible because it just has its authorship when it was written or even the theories on when it was written. It, ha- it often has like some people think this, some people think this, um, all, all laid out there. Um, yeah. And yeah. for finding like what even the state of the world or the, the audience was like back then. And, and it really also <laughs> has this a lot of really, really great entries into particularly books of the Bible have uh, usages in Christianity, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, um, sometimes Judaism or Islam. And so you can actually see as well how different faith traditions have responded to a particular text or a, a particular book, which it can be really interesting when it comes to interpreting that, that book. Mm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah pretty pretty spot on, and just like the links to everything as well is just great. You get really lost in it, lost in the rabbit hole. Have we come full circle? We have. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and I, I don't know. Do we even need to mention it? Another great free tool is obviously the Bible Project. Um, yeah, that's true. They do. I know. I feel like oh, we're bringing it up again, but they're just so good. Um, this, their the YouTube Burn the channel Haystack is basically a Bible Project fan club podcast. So maybe yes. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm, well, not even the podcast, but the YouTube channel. They do that's these true. great um, overviews of the different books of the Bible and even different sections of the Bible. So it can be really great if you're about to embark on. Um, exegeting like you say you want to do some deeper bible study so you decide on a book of the bible you want to read um, which is a great way to do it i would say rather than topically read the bible read it book by book or letter by letter um and then say before you do it just watch the bible project overview of that book and it's a great way to frame what you're about to understand because mm. they lay so much information out so clearly and quickly and easy and uh, the good thing about the bible project as well is when you watch a video, often it can lead you down that rabbit hole of all the resources and the content that they have on whatever topic. So a video on, I don't know, the day of the Lord might lead you into a few of the blog posts that, that they've made about it, which might lead you into the podcast series, which will then lead you into a bunch of other books and resources that they use to form their own views and opinions on that particular topic. So it's a really beautiful cascading rabbit hole of content and resources that they offer. Yeah. It's so crazy that it's free, but anyway. um, Yeah. Insane. So yeah, those are a massive list of really good resources for you. Again, we'd recommend just do it one book at a time. Just start in a book and get to know that one book really, really well um, is a really good way to um, 
yeah, I would say grow your understanding of the Bible because if you try and do all of it at once, you're just going to fall apart. So just try one book at a time. It could be even fun if you start a little group of a few of you and each of you do a different book and then come and share what you've learned Mm. um, over time because then you're all sort of growing and sharing things because there's a lot of stuff you learn about a book of the Bible as well that's like, what am I going to do with that information? Totally useless, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But if you're bringing the best um, to a little group to chat about it, uh, yeah, you can have some really amazing um, discussions. That's part of the reason I think when we were in um, uni at Avondale, we were always talking about things we were learning. So you were sort of sharing gems of wisdom with each other all the time. Yeah. Creating, and because we're all studying, like looking at doing essays on different topics and that kind of thing, you're often kind of all growing together really fast. So if you mm-hmm. have a group of you wanting to read your Bible deeper and each doing different parts and coming together and just sharing what you've learned, mm. really mm. powerful. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited as well because next week we are going to be taking some of the tools and resources that we've mentioned in this video uh, slash podcast and we are going to be putting them to the test. And yeah. <laughs> we're going to be selecting a passage of scripture yet to be announced and we are going to be exegeting it live uh, when we are doing it, but not live when you actually receive it. Um, <laughs> no. Using only the free tools we've recommended. Yes. I'm, so, I don't know how it's going to go because to be honest, like to be totally honest, I don't use any free tools anymore. I use <laughs> all this stuff I've paid for and I've built, I've built like a, I don't know, I have like a structure of how I study and yeah. dive into the Bible. So this is totally going to throw me off. What um, a bougie guy. I love wow, it. Wow, just no, be honest, you know. Like I'm exactly my, the same. It's my career, you know. Like obviously, <laughs> like I've paved the way that's best for me, and I have my yeah. favorite commentaries I go to. So this is going to be really, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how we go. But hey, yeah. I think I think we've got enough good uh, resources here that we're going to be able to do some really good exegetical work on whatever passage we decide to to do it. So I think I think this should be exciting, and yeah. uh, hopefully, we- you guys, uh, as you listen. Um, we'll make some notes and references as to where we're finding this stuff. And if you want to follow along with, with us, that would be also really, really sweet. So yeah. we'll see how um, we go. So we're going to try and do a passage that neither of us have done much study on in the past. Yeah, totally, um, totally neutral ground. Yeah, hopefully it'll have something interesting to say. <laughs> it'll just be an exegesis and it'll be like, oh, yep, it pretty much means exactly what it's translated, which does happen sometimes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to have a go at it and, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting episode. So yeah. very experimental, but we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I'm scared. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah, if it goes disastrously, we just won't post it. No, I can't. Know. Uh, no, we'll be fine. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll be fine. Post it. Um, All right. And uh, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I hope that you learned something and were encouraged in some way, shape, or form. Uh, once again, I just want to remind you: if you want to send some questions through, if you have any questions on the content that we've covered so far in our series, send it through uh, burnthehaystack.org. Um, fill out an email form there and if you can uh we'd love it if you are able to attach a uh recording of yourself asking uh the question and uh if you send this the recording we'll play it on the podcast and you'll get to hear your voice and everybody else will get to hear your voice on this podcast and and you'll be famous and so it's a win-win <laughs> it's a win-win for everybody yeah perfect um hey yeah well uh yeah and we we just 
love to hear from you guys. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't already, leave a rating or review for the podcast because it does help. And, um, yeah, for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go and check out burnthehaystack.org. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for for listening and uh, we'll see you again next week. Absolutely. Stay beautiful. That is Josh and Jesse out.